I'm David Raymond of Raymond Entertainment Group and the original Philly Fanatic, which means I'm the old guy. And you're listening to the Travel Mug Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Thanks for listening. David Raymond was an intern when the Philadelphia Phillies selected him to become the team's first official mascot. A Muppet-like, furry green thing with a long snout, which projects a long tongue-like protrusion, who was overweight, but the life of the party wherever this thing goes. That was more than 40 years ago. David spends much of his time nowadays consulting with other sports teams on how to nail a mascot concept like he did as the fanatic with the Phillies back in those formative years in the late 1970s. He reminisces with me on portraying one of the world's most recognizable mascots, shares what made the fanatic so successful to this day, and gives us insight on the creation of Gritty, the Flyers' new mascot, on the Travel Mug podcast. Travel Mug, here we go. Here with David Raymond in his Phillies lair, <laughs> in his home in suburban Philadelphia. And this is the first time we actually met person to person, which is weird because of our connection to the University of Delaware. Yeah, yeah, because we like to say blue hens forever. <laughs> uh, but I know there's been at least five times that I've been on campus where you were within shouting distance. Like I was getting a drink of water from yeah, the fountain and you yeah, walked by. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I won't mention, the, you know, adult beverage in the corner. Yeah. Matt's there a little bit loose. I don't maybe I shouldn't go in and say hello to him now. No, I it's it is funny because I, I well, one, from a viewer standpoint, one of the things that you do well um, and I've been a big Channel 6 fan my oh, whole life, oh, is that we feel, hey, we feel like I we know it. you. We I feel like it. we know you. You walked in the door, I go, hey! You know, it's just like, it's like the ads that the Channel 6 has done. So, it, so it's, it's good to have you, though. It's good to have you as a blue hen. I want to do three quick things. Uh, first of all, when people, not everyone knows that you were the original Philly fanatic, because obviously you're in costume. So when people find out that didn't know, how do they react? Do they say, "Oh, you don't look like you would have been the fanatic"? <laughs> it's funny. I, there are two. There's two ends of the continuum. One, you would think that the person is re- meeting the reincarnation of like Elvis Presley <laughs> or 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 Michael Jackson, and they go, and they go off. And then the other end of the continuum is. You made a living doing that. <laughs> Come on, that's just that's that's unreasonable. That's unfair. So I um, rarely do you get somebody. I guess kind of like our politics today. Do you get somebody right in the middle and says, "Wow, that's interesting. That's really cool. Tell <laughs> tell me all about it." It's, so it, it's always surprising. That's that's the cool part of it. And Philadelphia fans, as as you know, um, it's much better to be on their good side than on their sure. bad side. And once you are on their good side. It's really hard for you to screw that up. So even today, 40 years from the birth of Fanatic, at least once a week, and sometimes as much as once a day, somebody comes up and says, hey, man, awesome stuff. Loved it. You picked me up when I was in diapers, and I've got this picture. Do you remember this? And, of course, you say yes. That that love and affection is phenomenal. 1993 is when you retired as a Fanatic. I guess you don't still have your costume. It's not lying around in the basement somewhere. No, no. Uh, the uh, the copyright restrictions would, would not allow me. However, the Phillies being as kind as they are, and as you can see, some of the memorabilia. I have a pair of, like, the old fanatic galoshes, the original ones that were made. And they're great in the rain, yeah. too, right? <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's a little bit of difficulty moving around. But, yeah, so I do. I have a couple of items like that that they've been kind enough to, to give me and um, you know, and just uh, great fanatic memorabilia in general has been, um, as you can see around the room here, has been uh, nice to have. Okay, so I want to go back to the fanatic, but first I want to talk to you about Gritty. 
<laughs> the famous, the world famous Phillies mascot, uh, Flyers mascot. Uh, it exploded in popularity, and it started off kind of weird too. And I knew with your group, Raymond Entertainment Group, you somewhat consulted with the Flyers on this product. Can you explain to us what we have seen take place? <laughs> well, it, it's, been, it's been a beautiful leverage of many, uh, uh, I think, really some brilliance, too. Uh, the Flyers called me up almost two years ago and said, we're going to do this. We want your help. Be patient. And then when they called on us, the first thing we do is we sit down with a client and, and manage some expectations and explain to them what they need to have in place to, to have success. And the first thing I said was, you know we're going to get killed, right? I don't, I don't care what it is we introduce. And they said, no, you're right. We are going to. But they, then they reassured me with their commitment, which is always the first thing. If the organization is committed, it's going to work be, just simply because they're committed and they won't be deterred. And they are planning for that negative reaction. The beauty and the brilliance occurred is when the, I remember standing next to Joe Heller at the, at the Please Touch Museum when they rolled out Gritty. I'm standing next to him. He comes out. The kids are going crazy. It's all, they did a wonderful job of production and everybody's loving it. And he taps me on the shoulder and shows me a cell phone. It was the first one on his cell phone of a very nasty response to Gritty. I, I guess something like, hey, sucks, you know, whatever. <laughs> what, totally right. Philadelphia. Right, exactly, right? exactly. So then, and then he started showing it to the other executives, in, including Sean that was standing there doing some interviews. And everybody starts giggling and laughing about it. And I thought, excellent. No one's, there was no fear. And then when it got a little bit more creative in the negativity, they started sharing those. And when, when Gritty fell on the ice and was getting hammered as being a hockey mascot that fell on the ice, he tweeted uh, from Gritty, he said, how come nobody told me this ice was so slippery? <laughs> and it was just really a great response. And then I think that started to spur interest. And then when the Penguins mascot sent kind of a dismissive tweet to Gritty, LOL, okay. He said, sleep with one eye open. Bird. He threatened to kill him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which that, once that started happening, I think the professional comedian started, it trended. So they've got producers and writers that are watching, and they get to the host and, and these comedians, and they went, this is fertile ground. We're going to do it. And some of that was the most negative and nasty and, and difficult tweets, but they were hysterical. Um, so I, I can't remember who, who – I think this might have been on Saturday Night Live where they said – showed a picture of the design or, or of Gritty and said, of course, this is obvious. This was the first National League or first professional sports league mascot that was designed by a child with his crayons depicting his parents' murder. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and um, you know, so that, you know, and again, the Flyers continued to embrace that negativity. The, the message and the brilliance is when you just think about bullying, think about anybody in, in your lifetime had – shot an arrow at you or said something nasty to you, that if you responded with a laugh or a smile or going, hey, that's, that's funny. I'm telling everybody you said that because that's really funny. It diffuses the situation. Mm -hmm. And then when other people outside of the Philadelphia market started making fun of him, then the Phillies fan in us comes he's, out. He's hey, ours. Yeah, no. He's ours, yeah. <laughs> he might be ugly, but he's our ugly and, and, um, and leave him alone. And that's when the tide turned in less than 48 hours. And he had he went from zero followers to over 140,000 followers on Twitter. So hats off to the Flyers and the, the team and the portrayer and everything. They That was really what turned it. Because as you said, 
no matter what they came up with, it probably would have been a negative reaction. However, however ingenious the character would have been. Correct. And that, and that was, we are successful with our clients when they, when two things happen, they know that they don't know. So they bring us in to fill that gap. Then what they really know and are really great at, and in this case, a young organization that understands their brand and how to market it, especially with something new, they went after it with commitment and said, we're, we're, hey, I don't care. Mm-hmm. They say whatever you want to say. This guy's our guy. He's going to be here forever. So it's so <laughs> you either are going to like him or not. It doesn't matter to us because this is for the, the youth. Yeah, good for them. Back to the fanatic. You first appeared as the Philly fanatic in 1978 when you were an intern for the team. You alone came up with his persona, his emotions, his shtick, his routines. It was ingenious, and it was all improv, wasn't it? Well, I appreciate the kind words, Matt. (laughs) It was actually me just trying to keep my job because when, when Bill Giles gave me direction, he said, go have fun. And when I went tearing out of his office after that direction, he yelled, G-rated fun. <laughs> I was a college student. I go, well, I'm getting paid to go to the games. I, I used to stay anyway. Sure. I'm an enormous Philadelphia sports fan. So what I did was I combined Daffy Duck and the Three Stooges with the heartbeat of Philadelphia fans and did this all unknowingly. It was out of, it was defensive, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I just went the things that you were watching at the time. Yeah. And this is what I knew. I mean, the gong show was, was, I mean, so all of that stuff mixed up with the fact that I understood the dynamics of a Phillies fan, what they love, what they hate. And I just followed that. And then when somebody laughed at something, whether it was purposeful or not, like the first night I actually tripped and fell, and they went crazy. And I went, okay, well, i got to fall down more. And, and that's what happened. And then I also had, unlike mascots today or Gritty, I had the luxury of trial and error. There was no social media, and no one told them this was going to be your mascot. The Phillies, again, in their brilliance, and they had some concern. They said, we're just going to throw them out there. We're not telling anybody this is your mascot. And well, I, someone had arrived on a rocket ship from another planet. Yeah, it right? was. Or it, the or, there wasn't even that. Islands. Well, that, that, see, there, that would even be something. There was none of that until afterwards. So basically, what I think some of them thought from the mentality of Philadelphia sports fan: Hey, this dude built this in his garage. He's probably had a couple of beers, and he showed up at the game. All right, like they're applauding that. That it type was so seven hundred level, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Although we didn't go to the seven hundred level, it was probably smart. Uh, but that um, that truly was the way it works. So I think, you know, Bill Giles, I think, was the brilliant mind behind the Fanatic on many different levels. And he understood, number one, we have to get somebody who's low on the totem pole because no one else would be stupid enough to say yes to this. <laughs> so we got David. <laughs> that that fit. That worked. And then he said, we, ha- we, we have to make sure not just our fans, but when we're developing and designing all of this, it has to be fun. So, you know, he kept saying back to the designer, you know, uh, fatter, fatter, bigger, bigger, funnier, funnier. Um, and his direction to me was go have fun, G-rated fun, so we're not, we don't offend anybody. And, um, and, and go wing it because that, that was going to be authentic. And, and, and that's, I re- that's why it worked. And it's very similar to some brilliance of the Flyers in getting ready to deal with negativity. The, the, uh, the Phillies were trying to um, just distract the negativity by not making a big announcement and saying, you know, here, you know, here's the comic stylings of the Philly Fanatic, your brand new mascot. I think we would have been hurt with that type of rollout. Sure. 
who came up with a hot dog launcher? <laughs> and when did you get an air conditioner in the suits? I know there's some kind of fan in there now, right? Well, it, actually, the, the only air conditioning that I used was actually putting ice on a pitcher's strap and put it around my stomach. And just knowing how your body cools, that it's easy, it's simple. Uh, the Penske racing team very early on said, hey, we've got these cool suits you can wear, made them, their drivers to keep cool. Those were dangerous. Mm. Uh, so really all along, and, and even now, what, it, what there's no real fancy cooling system. It's basically get in the costume, spend about a half an hour, and take a break and drink a lot of water. And, and, and what the Fanatic has is a beautiful, cushy dressing room with showers and washers and dryers. I had a hole in the wall uh, where I started, so I'm almost getting on you know, Tom Burgoyne, the, the young best friend of the Fanatic, um, you know, has all of the accoutrements based on what we learned that we needed. But it's just hot. I, there isn't anything that you could do that would continue to give you the flexibility and the mobility and still stay and, and, and then be cool. So you basically recognize it's hard work. And you really build up a conditioning to be able to work in a hot, uh, hot environment, and you got to take breaks. And uh, which, frankly, on a really hot day, the fanatic's probably one of the coolest people there because he can go take a break, where the fans <laughs> have to stand, stay there. So, um, hot dog lunch. Yeah, hot dog lunch. Uh, well beyond when I left. Again, the fanatic has all of the great toys now. You know, sure. I, I was the underappreciated <laughs> child. <laughs> now he's got all the toys. And it was a, a wonderful combination of Hatfield, the sponsor. Mm-hmm. And they said, and they started with just shooting hot dogs in the stands with, um, you know, with just the old bungee cords. Sure, yeah. And it developed into that, you know, fully formed cart with the, and it, and it probably, I think is one of the, it is the best hot dog launcher in the country, of maybe course. the world. There are some handheld ones that people use, but this one is the first one that was designed to look like a howitzer. <laughs> you retired in 1993. So sad that they couldn't have won the World Series for you that year. It was some pitch, I guess, to yeah. the guy, Ouch. Morgan, I think was his name. Uh, it was time to go? I think, you know, what happened was I had been thinking about it. Um, you know, not unlike an athlete as a performer inside a costume, you, you have a shelf life. And I had an opportunity to build my own business. So I, I didn't tell the, uh, the Phillies that I was contemplated leaving until after that world series and that kind of was fitting because when i when i watched the home run by carter off of mitchie poo um i was home and i was with my son who is net gosh he's just turned 29 so he's a young kid then and he just happened to be in the bedroom and i was in in the out in the front room and i said don't change positions kyle because you know this is superstitious things were going well then he hits a home run. Kyle comes to the walks down the hallway and says, uh, "Is that it?" Are we, uh, and I go, "Yep." He goes, "Are we playing tomorrow?" I go, "Nope." He goes, "Okay, I'm going to bed." <laughs> so, so perspective from from my young, uh, you know, six year old, and I uh, and I thought, okay, well, he's not making a big deal about this. I, you know, I think this is probably a good time. Uh, Tom Burgoyne was actually getting married in, uh, just a, a month later, and you know how they have the cameras that go around. Uh, I actually, on camera at his wedding, did an, in, uh, in, uh, a characterization of Fred Sanford getting the, having the big heart attack. Okay. And then when I died on the floor, I went to, I went to the camera and said, Tom, you're in. Uh. And, and he didn't know. He had no idea what oh, wow. I was talking about. Um, and, and just a, a month or two later, you know, I told him, I said, you know, and, and the Phillies and I, and we all want you to be the best friend of the Fanatic. And, um, and we worked together for a few months into to 94. Um, and then he's just... Uh, hey, he's been doing it longer than you yes. did it in the beginning. 
when you see video and let's say you don't know where the video is from but it shows a fanatic can you tell the difference between Tom Burgoyne and you I can but only because the costume has changed relatively dramatically okay. so the the actions well that's what's I mean so so look I can only because I I Tom walks his fanatic walk is a little bit more of a duck walk than I mean I can see his movements and know that's Tom however when I watch the fanatic from the time I left until today I'll go oh oh and then he'll go do what I'm thinking. Like if I if I'm in the finale, oh go do it. And then I mean Tom and I are like brothers, and we are we both understand the fanatic's personality as as well as anybody because we collaborated. That that's I think the fanatic got better when Tom got with the Phillies five years before I left. And you know I I don't have there's no feel it's the fanatic. I don't feel like I'm not there. I don't feel like it's not a part of me, and in part because of how Tom has done it. Plus, Tom's much smarter than I am. He's written books. He's an author. You know, the, as Richie Ashburn would say... He's probably going to not, not confirm that and say, oh, no, no. No, it's well... Like mine. Tr- tr- no. no tr- trust me. Tom is smarter <laughs> than I am. And, and he, would do, he does everything right. And what my good friend Richie Ashburn would be describing somebody like Tom and say, you know, the kind of person you just want to slap. Uh, and that's like... I mean, Tom is just great at, ev- at everything inside and out. He's uh, right-handed and you're left-handed, Yeah, well, right? that's my Does one that... thing. Yeah, I tell, I go, you suck because you can't be left-handed. So that my fun, he can, we can argue back and forth all we want, but at the end I go, yeah, but you're not left-handed. So uh, so you can only tell when he goes out to bat. Yeah, yeah, or he throws. You know, and I, I told him, that, frankly, that, that was funny, Matt, because that was one of the first things I said. You, you've, you're going to be the Fanatic's best friend. You're the perfect guy. Everybody wants you... But you got to be left-handed, <laughs> and he went, "No, no." I said, "I'm kidding." <laughs> so, uh, but that is one little little tidbits that most people wouldn't sure. know. We pick up on those things. <laughs> so <laughs> that's Tom, what this podcast is. for. It's right. We get so yeah. deep into things. <laughs> yeah. Tommy Lasorda didn't. Well, it was kind of a love-hate relationship, I'm sure, with the mm. fanatic. But I'm sure there are a lot of times where people really weren't into the shtick. Did you ever feel like you were in immense danger? Especially on the rogues, I know you sometimes would travel the team, right? There, yeah, and and that was only a handful of times. But um, there, yes, there were a handful of times, and certainly anybody who's worked in costume before, in any type of um, uh, vehicle that's supposed to entertain families and kids, that there are surprising times when people react completely unexpectedly. Um, but most of those were either diffused or just so funny after you got done that you went. You know, what, what, a guy with a couple with a little bit of liquid courage in him, and the fanatic is uh, is flirting with his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You you get somewhat of a not a slapstick punch, but a serious punch. Sure. Uh, those types of things. There was one guy who I'll never forget, and he and he, it ended up being something that ever he was had a Sunday game plan. He sat in the same seats, and he was there for years. Must have been ten. It it had to be ten or fifteen years of of my time with the Phillies. And every time I, I would leave in the seventh inning by his seat. And as I got there, he would stand up and with all the gusts, he would yell, hey. And he would use the expletive. He'd go, hey, this isn't an effing Muppet show. And so it got to the point where I would just wait like the Sunday game was not over until this guy. And everyone got around him, knew he was going to do it. And it became one of those you know, callback jokes that always So like happen. a David Letterman joke that bombed yeah, the first time, yeah, they just mention it yeah, over that, right. and over and yes, over again. Yes, right? and he, so even the difficult times, you know, seem to have its own joy involved in it. <laughs> uh, so I, fortunately, I did, you know, I got a, a, a twisted knee or got the wind knocked out of me and a couple of bumps and bruises. I got away unscathed uh, 
Uh, Tommy Burgoyne has not been as lucky. He's had a broken orbit bone um, and a couple other fractures. So um, I was able to stay out of harm's way. <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> for you. Yeah, you, I'm lucky. You diffuse things, and plus maybe the longevity with Tom, you know, has something. Yeah, to it had right, it's the, just chances the odds. are eventually, you know, the odds. <laughs> yeah, I got really lucky, and then it all caught up to him. Yeah. So your father, and we were mentioning the University of Delaware, we both attended there. Your father was the legendary football coach there, also the baseball coach for a long time, Tubby Raymond, wing T offense. He passed away very recently in December of 2017. Uh, we've kind of spoken on the phone, and I offer you my condolences mm-hmm. because he means so much not only to Delaware, but just to the sport of football because of his wins and his, his innovation. What was it like having a football dad? Oh, it, it was... Um... It's 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 hard to capsulize it in a few comments, but I I will say, number one for our listeners, I don't think too many people know really how big of a figure he was in college football. So he was he was president of the College Football Association, um, which people don't get offered that unless they are, are really well respected. Best friends with Bear Bryant and Joe Paterno, um, he, the the best football coaches in this in the history of college football. He was connected to, knew, learned from, they learned from him. Um, very proud of that. Uh, he's in, still in the top, I think it's 12 or 13, of winningest football coaches in the history of college. Yeah, he passed 300 before he retired. Yeah, and he and um, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. So uh, I, I always like to brag on him in that regard. But being his, his son was incredible from un, until the naivete of – Everybody loves my dad wore off, and I started realizing well, some of his football players that aren't playing aren't very happy with Tubby. But I did, I, all I wanted to do, and I mentioned for was to go and play football for him at Delaware. I was lucky enough to be a kicker, in part because he told me when I first started playing football, he said, listen, if you can kick as well as whatever else you want to do, you'll be exceptionally valuable. And it really helped me make the all-star team because I, I punted and place kicked, and it really got me an opportunity to, to be a walk-on football player for him regardless he he did not make decisions about whether I played or not um and most people don't realize that and he left up to assistant coaches if he's good enough he plays if he and and I uh, you want to take him out you take him out um so I had a great relationship with my coaches and my players there and it was in part because of of how my dad understood how to coach I will relate to you however the first time that I got into a game because my dad was separated from that decision he was not aware that the first team punter had gotten hurt at, before halftime and wasn't aware I was going in. So when Coach Kemsky brings up the punt team and when we don't make it on third down, my father would turn around and look at the kicker and say, kick it. Instead, he looked at me, recognized I was going in, and looked right at Coach Kemsky and said, is that all we've got? <laughs> and, and I got pissed. And I'm like, all this fear. I said, oh, my God, I'm going to go out on the field for the first. This is what I've lived for. He actually, I think, understood at that moment by making that type of comment, got me mad and angry. And uh, so maybe it was half motivational and half reactionary. I, I think that's exactly right. So I mean, I think that was the beauty of him understanding, like, why, why, we can't have that guy in there. That guy's not ready. And then when he would express that, because he, in those cases, you don't have a governor. You you're you're saying what you believe at that moment. It was really, uh, I, tell, I saw the story of my dad's memorial service. Everybody appreciated, laughed at that. But it really was him. That, that's what he did. So he was both, a, he was my father, he was my football coach. And, and our family really shared him with the University of Delaware. He, the effectiveness he had with all of those players, I really think is, is unparalleled, which is, you'd hear the same thing about uh, Joe Paterno's players or Bear Bryant's players, that 
after after and even up today, uh, players will come to me and say, do you know what your father did for me? And then they'll tell me a particular story that would blow you away about one event in one person's life that that they still remember today and, and they use today. He did that with thousands and thousands of young men. I mean, that that's that's an amazing thing, a great legacy and, and one that I'm uh, thrilled to call him my father, but I think I'm all more excited to call him my coach because I'm like the rest of Tubby's guys. We, we, we loved him as a coach. Yeah, the greatest coaches were more than just coaches. Uh, right? no, no question. Yeah. So why does everyone love the Fanatic? <laughs> I mean, it's won so many awards. People say it's the greatest mascot in all of sports, not just baseball. Sometimes people mention the chicken. I think a chicken in San Diego is so boring. But anyway. Now you're buttering <laughs> me up. <laughs> why do you think... Uh, it was so successful and continues to be over the course of many generations who are you know very different in how they react to them. Well, I, I think because of the way it was introduced and some of the luxury we had of trial and error, that we really developed something that was authentic, not just to Philadelphia sports, but to Philadelphia. Uh, there's a little bit of insecurity, uh, a little bit of braggadocious, a little bit of performance energy. Um, and those things got, we had the time to mature that. And once you get solidified in this city, in in a in a beloved iconic way, it will it will never change. And then from a broad based perspective, he he is so Muppet esque. I mean, he has genes from the Muppets in that his designer Bonnie Erickson worked for Children's Television Workshop was one of Jim Henson's designers when he was, uh, you know, when he was crafting what the Muppets were to become. Uh, so. He's got this lovable quality about him and no real identity. So again, that gave a blank canvas to build what we built. Um, and it's 40 years and it's going to be here 40 years after this. And, and hopefully well before these two generations are gone, he'll still be the fanatic. And, I, and sustainability from a comedic standpoint is so very hard to do. And um, he's jumped all, over all those hurdles. And, um, and, and it's... Um, it's a, it was a beautiful thing. It was lightning in a bottle. However, that's what I loved about Gritty. It's still, you're still capable of having that type of success to, in today's uh, world of negativity and uh, sensitivities and PC and all that. You, you can still do it. And I think for me, that's the most heartening thing to see is that Fanatic is, as somebody asked me, is the Fanatic, I think it was Angelo on WIP said, is the Fanatic jealous? I said, no, the Fanatic's like the Pope. <laughs> You know, Gritty came in, he, I bless you, my son. And then, you know, I mean, the Fanatic's got nothing else to prove. He's, you know, it's, he's welcoming everybody in. He, uh, so uh, it's, it's been an amazing thing to see. And, uh, and the last part is, you know, you can't hug the Phillies, can't hug uh, Citizens Bank Park. And most of the time you don't have access to take pictures or hug the players, but you can hug the Fanatic mm. and he's there available to do it. And you can capture him in a selfie with you and your kids. And, and that's, I think in general mascots that represent organizations, that's one of the beauties it, it gives you this embodiment that you can interact with, hug and dance with and take pictures with. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty nice thing from a marketing point of view. It's been 25 years since you had the costume on. Mm. Miss it? Uh, I, I do. I'll tell you what I don't. Miss. Let me ask you this before you, you answer that question. Do you have 
dreams about being in the costume. <laughs> oh, a- yes, absolutely. Just like I have dreams about skiing on fresh powdered snow. I mean, there there are these beautiful moments that y- you reoccur. And I've continued to get in costume. I even get in costume today. I, I have a client, Salix Pharmaceuticals. We created a character called the Gut Guy. He's an irritable bowel. And uh, we use them at their trade shows. And uh, they've seen me in costume and they go, oh, will, will you do lunchtime when the when the performers that you brought in are, are off for lunchtime? And uh, and it's always a wonderful experience to do. But I'll tell you what is the thing that no one sees. So it's the best job in the world because you go to all the greatest parties and all the greatest events. But guess what? You're working during those great parties and great events. You're, you're not really, I mean, you're enjoying it. But you can't drink on the job. Yeah, and you're not really yeah, exactly, and you're not really there. I mean, you. What happens is you start in a dressing room, and everybody's excited. The event's going to get started, and then you go out and you do your thing, and everybody's having a wonderful time, and you're interacting and having fun and recognizing how much fun everybody's having. And oh wait, you know, I'm done in about an hour, and then an hour you're you're back in the break room. All the pretzels and potato chips and everything's been eaten. There's a little bit of cold water left. You get the costume off. They're all going home. Hey, that was really wonderful to see you. And it's all over. So, so the, the good news is I love to go where the fanatic is today because it's some big party. I get to enjoy the party. I get to see the fanatic interact with him. So, you know, it, it, it is hard work, and you are working when everybody else is playing. So um, that's about the only real negative, certainly outperformed by all the positives. He's almost like Batman. Yeah. Because, you know, like Batman will yes. go and he rescues people, <laughs> yeah. and then he just sort of takes off in the Batmobile and doesn't get all the accolades yeah. and everything else. And He does have goes great back wardrobe, though. You know, he yeah. does, he, out, of cost, out of Batman costume, he does always wear a tux. And, he you know, definitely is more yeah. fit. He's suave and sophisticated. <laughs> These are all things that I'm not, but, but I'll accept the analogy. That's, and and, and you, you aren't getting credit. Uh, you know, you get out of costume, and you're like anonymous. Like Batman, yes. Yeah. And when the fanatic comes out, hey, everybody loves you. And then when you take that super suit off, which there is a beauty to that too. You just can go home and, but you know, you are, you do understand you're getting paid to have fun and make people happy. That's a, that's a pretty good job. What's next for you? Well, I, it's, a, we were talking a little bit about it. I mean, this, this business of, of marketing and branding has really, um, really blossomed into a speaking career. I mean, somebody asked me the other day, can you really make a living as a, as a, uh, as a keynote speaker? And well, yes, you can, but what you really need is, is a message that people that resonates with people. And, this idea of leveraging fun to be happier and healthier and more productive um, fits in many different genres. So in the healthcare industry, I, I'm I'm going to speak for Tower Health on the 31st of, of uh, Halloween, which, by the way, is a mask and performer's only day off. Everybody else <laughs> is you can't up. tell yeah. who is who. Yeah, right? I mean, like, you, you know, everyone else, all the amateurs can do it now for a day. I, I have a day off. So I'm, I'm speaking to Tower Health. They're, they're a big local um, healthcare company that runs a number of hospitals that they've, they've acquired another group and they're getting all of their leaders together. And they saw my TEDx talk and they said, that's exactly what we need. We need to understand that we are in a very serious business, but at the end of the day, if we don't make our patients feel like they're valued, uh, we're going to lose. So we want you to try to re-inspire us as to why get back the joy of the healthcare industry, which is, a difficult field now and they need to hear that message that you need to use fun well i thought fun was about you know going to disney world and vacation yeah that's a direct connect but it is one of your strongest tools to to effectively change culture um to make yourself get over life challenges Um, and and the fanatic taught me this every day he would walk into a hospital room where a kid has just come out of surgery and he's not responding well 
the fanatic walks into the room. The kid pops up out of his bed and goes, hey, it's a fanatic. His parents go, oh, my gosh, they're jumping around, uh, patting the fanatic on the back. The doctors are scratching their heads and the fanatic leaves. And they're all, you know, blessing you for showing up. That's the power of fun at work. And, and the fanatic has little random acts of kindness. That's what he's doing every single place. And all you have to do is do a random act of kindness where you buy somebody a cup of coffee in line and see how they react to that. There's protest at first. Like, no, no, no. And then you go, no, I'm, I'm doing it just to be nice. There's, you know, I don't expect anything in return. They go, oh, oh, well, thank you. And then you walk out of the store with them and they, they, they thank you. They pat you on the back. You know, that's the power of fun at work and, and you can do it easily. So the speaking career is about, you know, just taking this message to people that, that really respond well to it. And um, I'm excited about doing that into my and beyond my retirement years. I, I want to preach that message because I think, especially today, it's important. David Raymond, the original portrayer of the Philly Fanatic. Thanks for joining us on the Travel Mug Podcast. Uh, thanks for including me, Matt. I hope this is one of the best episodes ever. I think it might be. And I'm not just patronizing you. <laughs> Go Hens. Yes, Blue Hens forever. <laughs> thanks to David Raymond, and thanks to you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Travel Mug Podcast. We have about two dozen to listen to featuring Conversations with Philadelphians you know, you love, you trust, all of whom you want to know better. I'm Matt O'Donnell. Travel Mug, over and out.